welcome to another episode of the Rental Journal Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the equipment rental industry. I'm your host, Mark Simonson, and today's guest is Greg Pure. Greg is the managing director of a company called Jenny Light and has a lifetime of experience in the power generation industry. Greg, thank you for coming on the Rental Journal Podcast. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for, thanks for having me. Yeah, appreciate the invite. So to start off with, can you talk to me about how you first got involved in the power generation industry and what are some of the roles that you had over your career? Yeah, sure, Mark. I, um, I, I worked for uh, Detroit Engine and Turbine Company back in the, uh, back in the late 80s. And I, uh, I started there basically, uh, basically straight from school. And I moved around a bit between um, various roles and, and, and different departments and got a lot of really good exposure to, um, to different industries and, and different markets. And predominantly, I was, uh, I was in ag and, and industrial sales, mainly um, internal sales and, and coordination type roles. And Detroit's um, power gen department uh, back then was mainly, uh, mainly project-based, uh, but they were launching a, uh, a new program called Pacific Power. And, and what that was, it, it involved selling engine drive packages to the um, various generator manufacturers. So that role was advertised internally. Um, I applied, uh, was successful, and uh, went to work for a guy by the name of uh, Don McMillan. And that was my first, uh, that was my first start in, uh, in power gen. And whereabouts is this based? Uh, Detroit Engine Turbine Company, uh, which is now Penske. Um, they're a national or global company, um, but I was working in their Brisbane branch. So I, I moved around between branches in Brisbane, between Rockley and, uh, and Archerfield. And so how did you get involved in that business initially and what sort of attracted you to get into that industry? Look, I think it was the um, the diversity of the projects, and and there wasn't the seasonal highs and lows that I that I was seeing in the in the other industries, in the in the ag and, and in the marine industries. But um, look, I think the main thing that attracted me to it was was the program was new, so the role was new, the the, the program was new, and, and it was going to be a challenge, and and there was also going to be an opportunity to to do something that that hadn't been hadn't been done. So that was sort of my main attraction. And, and then I got to build some really great relationships in, in there. Um, you know, I, my biggest customer was, uh, was Generator Sales and Service at the time. And, and I eventually went to, uh, went to work for Generator Sales and Service. They were, they were the largest manufacturer in Queensland at, uh, at that time. And I spent four years there, um, primarily in a uh, dealer development role. Okay. And so you mentioned these relationships. Like, what importance do you put on these? Oh, look, I, I, they're obviously very, very important. I, um, I made some great relationships over that time. I, in, in the four years I was with that, uh, with Generator Sales and Service, and some, of those, some of those years I would have travelled well over 80,000 kilometres, um, mainly between Queensland and New South Wales. So we had a lot of dealers, a lot of resellers um, and, and a lot of customers in general. So, you know, I, um, I spent a lot of time with them and, you know, in like thinking back, some of some of the guys that back in my Detroit days, some of the guys that were first year apprentices back there, like you know, thirty years later, are, are facility managers, project managers, or you know, running businesses of their own, and and you know, those relationships you just build over that time, and obviously it doesn't entitle you to you know win work all, all the time, or but you know those those relationships certainly do open up some some opportunities and. 
Now, we still have dealers and resellers in our network today that, that I was calling on 25 years ago when I, when I first joined Generate Sales and Service. Wow, that's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And, and it's, it's good. You know, they, they basically become, after that amount of time, they, they become friends. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's a different type of relationship when you're working with someone that long, isn't it? Like there's, there's is, so much yeah. trust there that yeah. you've built up. Yeah. And yeah, you, you, you can't really replace any, because really like when, you, when you're selling to someone, it is trust-based. That, that's all it is really. As long as you can it deliver is. on what you say and you continually yep. do that, you're building up that long-term relationship. So I can't imagine the type of trust you build over 25 years it must be amazing. Yeah, no, it's great. And, you know, those relationships you'll, you'll keep forever. So yeah, it's, it's good. This podcast episode was sponsored by Boom and Bucket. I love that name. Such a good name for a company, Boom and Bucket. Boom and Bucket was started by two ex-Caterpillar employees and is the easiest way to buy and sell heavy equipment. If you're selling, Boom and Bucket will inspect, photograph, market, and sell your machine so you can focus on your rental business. If you're looking for new equipment, Boom and Bucket has hundreds of inspected and guaranteed machines that you can browse and buy from your phone. See why the average buyer gives Boom and Bucket a 9.5 out of 10 review. Check them out at boomandbucket.com. And so then how did your role within those businesses evolve over time? And like what training did you do over that period as well? Look, I, I, I did a lot of training and, and look, I, I think training is, is super important and and that's that's really easy for me to say now, but you know, thinking back, I, I certainly would not have been able to achieve what I have without it. And joining joining Detroit Diesel as a as a junior gave me a really good structured learning environment. But the sales manager there, or state manager, I should say, was uh, sat on the board of TAFE Queensland at the time. And I also believe there were some uh, government incentives um, around training. So there was a there was a lot of uh, lot of opportunity externally to um, to do training. So whether that was industry based or or personal development, basically, if if you were prepared to put put in your own time to completing courses, the the company were happy to pay and support you to to do that. So I, look, I don't think you can have an, ever have enough knowledge and. And it doesn't necessarily have to have anything to, to do with the industry you're in. Like, I, I can certainly remember, you know, back in my early 20s doing, doing personal development courses, for instance, you know, thinking, what's this got to do with selling equipment? But, you know, later, later in life, I think you learn that, you know, those, say, public, um, public speaking assignments, for example, are really beneficial. And that's whether you're doing a, you know, a product presentation to 20 or 30 people or, or talking at a, a friend's wedding, you know, it's, um, it's certainly skills that, that you, that you hang on to. Obviously, you know, it's nerve wracking and you're, you're well and truly out of your comfort zone or most people are. Oh, I, I certainly was, but you know, if you, if you do that stuff, that's what's going to, that's what's going to make you better. Yeah, no, for sure. Like, One of my friends has got a wedding on the weekend and he's the best man and he's so nervous about doing his speech because he's a sparky. He goes out and installs yeah, stuff yeah. and does that. He's never really done any formal training, but just doing those little bits of uh, additional skill sets and training can really improve the way you communicate to people and stuff like that. So definitely never yeah. put down the opportunity to learn more. As he said, there's always room to grow and learn and improve. I totally agree. And I, and I think people are learning that now. Like there are so many different ways to, to educate yourself and, you know, formal education, you know, traditional type 
school, uni, that sort of thing like that obviously has huge benefits and and works really well for, for the right people. But, you know, there are so many other ways to improve yourself also. I, I think it's just about, you know, understanding your strengths and weaknesses and, and finding finding ways to, to work on those. And, you know, whether whether that's enrolling in a in a small business course or, or as simple as studying somebody that you know that you consider to be at the top of their game, um, it's it's invaluable. Yeah, I think unfortunately a lot of people they go through their career and don't actually make that that assessment of their strengths and weaknesses, or they don't find like a mentor to look up to and and follow that same path. But just looking at finding out what you're good at and then honing on that and really trying to improve and like just constantly just improve it. Like it changes your trajectory in your career and even in your personal life as well. So it's yeah, is that something that you always knew or did someone teach you that? Or like, how did you sort of evolve in that mindset? Look, I really stumbled into it to a certain extent. As, as I said, there was a lot of opportunities there at Detroit. And, and with that, the, the extra training, the personal development outside, like I was, I was encouraged to do it and, and, I, had, and I had the mindset to do it. Um, but what, you don't really realise the value until, until years after you've actually done that. And, and those things, like it, it's about just doing things you wouldn't normally do, getting out of your comfort zone and, and putting yourself out there. And, and that's when the opportunities come up. Like we talked about relationships before. And recently I come across a guy at uh, McNabb that, I, that I'd done one of those public speaking courses with when I was 20 years old. And he's, he's a project manager at, at McNabb. So you just never know where it's going to lead. So it's, mm. it's certainly worth it. Yeah. yeah. This podcast episode was sponsored by the Fleet Office. Get away from paper documents and spreadsheets and become more compliant by using a cloud-based fleet management software. Save money by streamlining your hire business and understanding your fleet and utilization better. Create quotes, invoices, allocate equipment and operators to jobs and easily compare your projected income with your current invoices, making you more profitable. Pre-starts, risk assessments, maintenance, timesheets, dockets and asset efficiency all managed on one easy to use platform Learn more at thefleetoffice.com.au. And so today you're the owner of, of Jenny Light. So what made you decide to go into business for yourself? And like, how did that eventually evolve to actually becoming a thing? Oh, look, that was a, uh, that was a bit of a process, Mark. I, I saw myself uh, early in my career uh, climbing the, the corporate ladder of, of Detroit Diesel, or Detroit Engine and Turbine Company back then. I always had a passion towards sales and, and I always gravitated towards the product managers and the, and the sales managers. And, and I thought those sales type management roles were a, were a natural progression for me. And, and that's, where, that's where I saw myself fitting originally. And I remember at one stage thinking, you know, I'm, I'm going to be the youngest sales manager in this place. But, but strangely enough, or, or fortunately enough, that actually hindered my growth. And, and whilst I had the knowledge to, to do the job in some cases, or, or, or at least I thought I did, um, I was sometimes overlooked for, for people that were older and, and had more experience. And I think that was sort of common back then in the, in the 90s. And, and, you know, I was in my early 20s. And, and that's when I started to realise that, look, I may never be able to get exactly what I wanted or, or where I wanted to be personally with, within that sort of structure. 
I was also starting to feel a little bit of frustration. There was a very lengthy process in a in a, in a large organisation like that. And, and look, I understood it. I just didn't particularly like it. And I come from a family. I, I grew up in a family that, that were in business and, and nothing, nothing rental or power generation related. But, you know, from a very young age, I got to see what it took to succeed and that, you know, 12, 13, 14 hour days were, were sometimes what it took. And it wouldn't be easy, but, you know, seeing my family's success definitely inspired me in, in my younger years to, to be thinking about doing, doing something for myself or going into business. And then, uh, then joining GSS in 95 and working closely with management and basically being that, that bigger fish in a smaller pond. And that was a bit of a light bulb moment for me. And that's when I decided, thought, hey, you know, I, re- I really need to do something for myself. And we were growing really, really quickly there. And, and at the time, we were doing everything from portable generators through to build, own, operate power stations. And uh, yeah, as it turned out from that growth, the opportunity came along to buy one of GSS's trading brands. And, and that was that was Jenny Light. Uh, and in 1999, uh, I sold everything I could. We, uh, we mortgaged our house, uh, rented a building in Cooper's Plains, and, uh, and Jenny Light started independently. Wow. What was the pressure like when you mortgaged your house and put everything on the line? Oh, it was very, very daunting. Very, very daunting. And, um, but, you know, it was a lot of fun back then. And, and, and I was, um, you know, I was just, I was keen and uh, had a lot of energy and look, I knew it was going to be hard work. I knew what had to be done and yeah, it was, uh, it was exciting. All right. So for the listeners, did you just want to give a rundown of the width and breadth of the Jenny Light business? Uh, as I said earlier, Jenny Light originated as a brand of GSS back in the late 80s, um, predominantly building a range of portable generators and welders. And I, I bought that, um, that brand out of GSS in 1999. And, and from there, we've grown basically to a full-scale power generation business, doing, doing everything from small portable generators and welders for, for trades, uh, powering mining camps um, or, or putting 2,000 kVA in the basement of a building in, in the CBD. Um, so in addition to generators, we also have a range of, uh, of lighting towers, uh, lighting towers, air compressors, uh, fuel tanks, and uh, distribution equipment. Okay. And so do you also have service techs that you send out? Uh, we do. We, uh, we have a full, uh, full workshop and manufa- manufacturing facility in, uh, in both Perth and, and Brisbane. Um, so we have the capability there to design, manufacture, install, commission and maintain. So basically end to end. So we'll custom build, modify, really to suit any, any application. And then we have, a, uh, we have a service network, a regional service network that we, uh, that we use as well as our own, own technicians to cover both uh, diesel and electrical support. Okay. And so how does it work with those regional relationships do you do you find partners that are going to help support the servicing of your equipment we do yeah, we we have partners that are that are quite often resellers for for some of our products as well um so we have yeah, various various centers for electrical uh and and diesel support uh throughout queen well throughout the country really okay and then so do you have a small component uh that does rental within the business as well like what's the com- how does that fit into the business uh, we have a rental arm, um, Jenny Rent, which we formed in, in 2007, uh, obviously generator specific, and we have a fleet of around 125 machines. Uh, and they range from 5 kVA all the way through to uh, 1250. 
And our rental's mainly a, a backup service to our sales and, and predominantly a, a rehire business. So we're basically servicing, uh, servicing existing customers, but uh, largely the general rental companies. Very nice. So do you want to just talk through some of the key challenges that you, you would have went through when you started your own business? Sure. Look, I think, you know, like any small business um, starting out, capital or, or, or lack of specifically, um, cash flow, time management, they, they were all challenges for me, as, as I expect they are for, for anybody starting a, starting a business. And, you know, it was a juggling act between sales, dealer development, marketing, supplier negotiation, admin. Um, I, look, I, there's always going to be an element of fear. And I, and I think for anybody that starts a new business, um, you, we talked earlier about, you know, how daunting it was to start. And, and I think, you, you know, when you start, when anybody starts a business, in most cases, they've, they've got everything they own on the line. And, you know, I, I sort of tried to use that fear in, in a positive way as, as much as I could. But, you know, I was, I was very, very aware of how much I needed to sell every day to, to survive, basically. And, uh, and wouldn't go home until we'd done that. Wow. Yeah. Do, do you think that, because a lot of people probably think, oh, I'm a good manager or I'm a good sales manager or whatever it is, I can just start my own business. But I don't think that's the case. Like it, it, it's a different mental side. Yeah. Once you start your own business and you've got those finance payments that are coming in and you, you know that everything's on the line. So how did you sort of manage that fear or that, that, that challenge? And then how did you sort of, keep that mental state pushing forward and ensuring that the business was going to grow and, and your family was protected at the same time? Well, basically from day one, I, um, I set goals and monitored numbers. Um, like I was, I was absolutely possessed by numbers, which, which is really strange as I, for somebody that hated maths at school. But I think if you take away the unknown and, and you can take away some of that fear and, and you need to have really strict reporting processes, even from day one when, when the business is really small, like you need to know your numbers and know where you are and that's where you can get that confidence. You know, uh, like after a while, you, you, you will know it. And, but, and after 20 years, like I can, I can feel it. And, uh, and I can tell you right now, you know, exactly, well, within a very, t- very small percentage of, of how our business will perform at the end of every month, just by, just by feel, seeing, seeing the model mix of product we're selling, seeing the revenue, it's, you, you just, you just get to know that. But I think, you know, for me, it's to keep the confidence and, and to keep driving forward and, and opening branches, doing acquisitions or whatever direction you want to move in. And then so how do those challenges change over time? And how do you spend your time in the business now? Because when you first started, you said you wouldn't go home until you made that sale to hit that number that was safe. So how do those challenges evolve? And then how do you, how do you spend your time in the business today? Uh, well, look, firstly, now I have a really great team of people around me. So the juggling act of, of trying to do it all for myself is, is gone. And the, the challenges are very different now. It's about aligning goals, culture, adjusting leadership. So, you know, we, we started with two staff and, and uh, one of which is still with us 22 years later. And, and, and we now have over 40. So, so that's a constant reminder to me of the importance of, of building, a, building a strong and supportive culture and I think if you if you get that right, you'll you'll have staff that will stay with you for long periods of time, and and that experience and understanding of your business is is really hard to uh, really hard to replace. You know, as I said, Jenny Light is just so much more than just me now, and we have a whole team striving to make us bigger and bigger and better. So something I want to dive into a little bit more is 
when you're a solo operator and, you, and you're going out and doing everything yourself, you're managing the books, you're managing the sales, you're managing the deliveries, you're managing the purchase orders, everything on your own. And then you need to bring new people into the business. I think a lot of owner operators, they struggle letting go of the reins. They, they struggle not micromanaging their staff. And then when you micromanage your staff, you're probably going to like lower their ego and they're going to hate their job because you're constantly over their shoulder. So talk me through how you manage that because it's probably one thing that really um, limits the growth of businesses because the moment that you, as you said, you get good staff, the, the, it's exponential growth there because you've got that, that engine that's helping grow the business and you're in the same direction rather than you trying to like be the puppeteer constantly. Yeah, look, I, I didn't, I didn't find that. I didn't. Well, I feel I didn't have that, um, you know, micromanagement problem. I, I think in in the early days, I, I looked to surround myself with the best people I possibly could, and 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 sales was always my background. So I had that area covered. It was the, it was the, it was the technical expertise, the the administration, the procedural type type roles that that I really looked to to employ quality people with. So. I never had that problem. Never had that problem as such, and and I always looked to to find people with with experience and and people that could cover the areas that that I was lacking in. So, you know, I, I was I was very lucky from from the beginning. I I just seemed to manage to find find good people, and and a lot of those people stayed with me for a very long time. And then, how do you keep those people? Like, was there certain things you were doing around managing culture and that sort of stuff? There, there is, yeah, and and look, I think I think the, the biggest key, and that you know, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of talk about culture and morale and, and that sort of thing, but I think, and and all of that's very important, but for me, it was it was communication. Like I I, I spent a lot of time just basically talking to our people, like taking the time to sit down with them and and say, you know, you know, how's the job going? How's your day going? How's this going? How are you finding that? How's that deal of development going? You know, how did you go with this customer? Like I, I, I would put the time into them and, and be there and communicate with them. And that gets harder and harder as your business gets better and bigger, I should say. And, and, and that's when you need to rely on good managers to be able to do that because you can't do it all yourself. But in in the early days, when we were when we were a smaller team, and, and probably all the way up until we were we were twenty odd people, um, you know, I had a lot of communication with everybody in the business on a daily basis, and I think that that that's invaluable. That that was the that was the key to um, to a big part of our success and growing to at least that level. Yeah, I remember I had someone on the podcast a while ago, and he told a story about he was driving back from a customer's site on a late Friday afternoon, had a pretty rough day, was a bit stressed and his phone was ringing and it was the CEO and he assumed that he was about to get blasted or more questions or whatever it was from the CEO. So we answered the phone and the CEO just asked him like, how's your day been? What are you up to? Just want to thank you for doing a good job. And then he was waiting, waiting for like the, the thing that he was going to say and it never came. And he was like, oh, he literally was just checking in on me, like to see how I am. And he said that little moment, like completely changed his mindset for the day because he was very stressed. And I think leaders sometimes forget that that little two minute phone call can change someone's day. I certainly forget. Yeah. It's, it's valuable. I, uh, I try to do it as, as much as I possibly can. Probably don't do it, do it enough. Um, but look, I, I totally agree. So let's talk about the evolution of the generators over time as well. Uh, how, how did the specs and the technology of your first generators 
look like at the very beginning and then how do they look like today? Oh, look, funnily enough, um, particularly in the small petrol uh, range of generators, the, the design itself hasn't actually changed that that much. For instance, we're still using the same brand of engines we were back in back in the in the 90s or 80s, 90s, uh, still using the same Italian-built alternators um, that we were back then. But what what has changed a lot over the years is the is the overall quality, like things like heavier frames, uh, unidirectional mounts, anything that's going to extend the life of the product. And obviously, the other significant change is the increase in options, so site compliance, extended run times, critical silences, and, and that sort of thing. That's on the that's on the sort of smaller range. On the larger diesel range product, um, obviously, seeing mechanical engines now being replaced with fully electronic lower emission models. Um, a lot of technology is in the controls, and with the ability to parallel and, and load share and remote monitor. Um, you know, we have machines on barges in the middle of the ocean that we can start and stop, monitor loads, fuel consumption, diagnose faults. So the technology is really, you know, about, you know, reducing fuel costs, extending maintenance intervals and, and giving transparency to your customer. And you mentioned having that, that same engine. So how important is it for a business to have really good relationships with their suppliers as well? So they've got a constant, consistent delivery of machines and quality of service. Like, is that something that you really focused on as well? Look, that's that's very important. And particularly now throughout COVID, I, uh, I think supply has been a big issue for, for a lot of people. And we've had our traditional brands like Honda, Briggs, Kubota, Cummins. We've had those for, for and those relationships for, for over 20 years. So, you know, those high quality brands and those you know, supplier relationships have, have been invaluable over, over the years and, and even more so now. And if we if we go back 25 years ago, like what was the day-to-day like working in power generation? And if you go forward maybe five or 10 years, what do you think the landscape's going to look like? When I joined Generator Sales and Service, it was a, uh, they, they had just been appointed the Queensland distributor for a brand called FG Wilson. And FG Wilson were a uh, were the largest privately owned generator manufacturer in the world at that time. And um and they were importing importing product into Australia. And traditionally, the, the majority of the diesel generators sold in, in Australia were, were built by companies like Generator Sales and Service and Advanced Power in Sydney. And, and they would buy engines and, and alternators from the, from the local suppliers and build bases, fuel tanks, canopies, all internally. But the, the FG Wilson product was so so competitively priced it um, it was it was really hard for the local manufacturers to compete and, and that basically changed the landscape of the of the power generation market overnight I think 80 percent of the generator sets sold in in the country from basically that point on would have been packaged import sets versus uh, versus local manufacture uh, and then in the future what do you think oh look I think we're definitely going to see a uh, in, an increase on um, on safety and environmental compliance. Um, I think you know, obviously, the need for for more efficient and sustainable in- energy solutions will continue to grow. Our product offering will will consist of predominantly traditional fuels um, and and then a mix of gas, hydrogen, solar, and and hybrid systems. From Genilite's perspective, uh, you know, we'll we'll always invest in product development and and the services we offer. But you know, the ease of information flow is going to become more and more important. Things like dealer logins, um, tech data, installation advice, remote monitoring. I think that sort of stuff is going to become a lot more valuable. Yeah, I think 
with you mentioned some of the technology aspects just before, but I can imagine like when you go to a job site to go for a tender, if one company is saying you can log into a portal and see all this information about your generators and get live diagnostics and utilization data and whatever it might be. And then another company is turning up and going, Hey, here's the generator. That's right. <laughs> it's, it's pretty hard to compete with that. So I think if companies don't innovate and embrace that type of technology, they will be left behind eventually. Most certainly. And look, and it's, it's all about on cost. It's all about, it's all about fuel saving. It's all, it's all about uh, service intervals. So, you know, anything you can do to, to stretch that out and, and, and lower your fuel costs, lowers the overall cost of the project. Yeah, no, for sure. All right. Well, look, let's uh, learn a little bit more about you. So who do you think played a big influence on you from a mental perspective in your career? Uh, to single out one particular person I, throughout my journey, I, I would say Steve Clements. Um, Steve was the owner of Generator Sales and Service, and he was uh, he was ten years older than me when I when I joined the company. And at that time, he was my definition of of successful. He was uh, he was creating wealth. He he had freedom, lifestyle, and and was building a business that he was really really passionate about and and really proud of. But it wasn't it wasn't only power generation. I was, I was learning a lot about there. Like I, I was given a lot of exposure to the general management of the business, like everything from dealing with banks to opening regional branches, department management, um, industrial property. Steve Steve always had a, a lot going on, and and he was happy to share his knowledge. And um, yeah, but it was very much a learn as you go type environment there, and um, a sort of a sink or swim type type mentality. I, um, I I remember being a uh, major sponsor of a horse race in Brisbane, and Steve telling me, you know, there was a reporter there wanting to talk to me about a sponsorship deal. And as it turned out, it was a uh, was a live interview on one of the uh, on one of the racing channels. So, sort of funny funny now, but uh, not so much at the time. <laughs> Greg, by the way, you're on live TV. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, I think I had to, I think I had two minutes notice. So yeah, bit of a Bit of a challenge that one, but uh, yeah, anyway, it, uh, it got done. Um, look, and I also got the advantage of seeing, you know, what was effective for him and and what and what wasn't. Um, you know, target setting, sales rewards, going above and beyond for your customers. Like, wasn't unusual to to jump in a car at six o'clock at night and you know drive till two o'clock in the morning to meet a customer on the side of the road for for a generator. That was that was just part of the role, but more importantly, part of the culture there. So yeah, no, I learned I learned a lot. I learned a lot there and, and yeah. Brooks there. And so, look, a lot of people are trying to find mentors. Some people have had mentors for a long period of time. Some people don't have mentors. But can you talk about what, just, can you describe what a good mentor looks like and how they interact with people? I, I suspect I could have a different thought process on on this from from most. Like you, you read a lot of books and, and listen to a lot of podcasts and they say, you know, go out and go out and get a good mentor. But I personally think in a lot of cases that the best mentors sometimes actually find you. Um, and, and I think a lot, of, a lot of the cases that it needs to be a personal connection. And, and you know, there are, for instance, there are a lot of successful people in power generation, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they would have been a great mentor for me. Um, it worked really well for myself and Steve because, because we fitted personality wise, but you know, I think you really need to have that connection and, and they have to want to see you succeed. Um, and look, also, I, I think it's 
I think it needs to be a win-win. I, I think they need to be getting something out of the out of the relationship as well. And you know that win could be something as simple as them having the satisfaction of seeing you succeed. But I think there needs to be something. Um, you know, look, luckily now it's part of our DNA, Jenny Light, and, and particularly moving forward where we're all about mentoring, bringing people up, up through the ranks. And if we can sit down with our people and identify their goals and plans and, and we can align them with the company goals and plans, well, you know, to me, that's a, that's a win-win. Yeah, definitely. And so if you could give some advice to young Greg, what would you say? Uh, look, that's a really, that's a really good question. I, um, we, we may need a part two to fit this, fit this one in. Um, look, seriously, I've often thought how, how good would it be to go back and, and start again and, you know, knowing, knowing even part of what I know now. But, you know, there's a lot of things I, I would say. And, and one of them would be, you know, definitely think bigger and, and plan bigger. If you're, if you're good at what you do, you're going to grow. And so you need to structure your business with that in mind. Don't, don't structure short term. You need to be thinking, I think, at least five years are, five years ahead and and if you don't do that you can you can actually stunt your growth and I underestimated our growth or 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 our rate of growth anyway early and and as such we were we were moving premises every every two to three years and and that was that was quite quite disruptive Um, you know obviously it needs to be affordable and, and you don't want to load yourself up with excess overhead especially especially when you're starting but you know I would definitely say um definitely say plan for more we also spoke about about training and, and mentors and and look thinking back, my mentality was was probably to do a lot of it myself and and basically just work it out. But you know, there's so much uh, education out there now, online courses, podcasts like yours, and just soak it up and, and don't be afraid to don't be afraid to ask questions. And you know, I've always found the majority of successful people love to see other people succeed, and you know, especially young people. So you know, they're they're the sort of people that you you want to be around. Look, I would also say enjoy the journey. I, like I was always very focused on the destination or, or what I thought the destination was. And, and I think by personality, like there will always be a next or a bigger for me. But if I could do it again, I, I would just slow things down, enjoy it a little bit more, spend a bit more time with my family, take a little bit more time for, for myself. Uh, but look, after saying all of that, I, I, without, without a doubt, I would say the, the most important thing I would tell my younger self would be to learn techniques to handle um, adversity and the challenge of business. I think because, you know, look, make no mistake that no matter how hard, hard you try or how good you are, things are always going to go wrong from time to time and, and there'll be some stress and, and there'll be some sleepless nights. So I'm, I'm really conscious of that now and, and how you handle problems, conflict, negatives. Like, you, you know, you study any successful person from around the world, like they've all got stories of overcoming setbacks. So I think if you can learn to master techniques on how you handle the problems, well, ultimately you'll determine the outcome of not only the problem, but the rest of your day, the rest of your week, and, and really the overall performance of your business and, and the people in it. So that would be the one critical thing. Well, that's what I do now. And that's what I'd tell myself to do back then. Yeah. I think when, look, when, when anyone starts a business, when anyone does any role, things are going to go wrong. Like are. things aren't going to go perfect. Things are going to stuff up. People are going to make mistakes, whatever it is. And it's, it's how we react to those mistakes, which is what makes the business what it is. And so if, if you're a very aggressive person, or if you're a very confrontational person, or you're very, like, you don't really think through, the problem properly before making an educated decision, it can really hamper 
the culture and the organization and stuff like that. And, and some look stress, everyone's stressed. And sometimes it's easier to say, all right, I'm going to park this. I'm going to think about it overnight. And we'll come back to tomorrow rather than making that quick decision. Obviously you need to make quick decisions sometimes, but yeah, it's like that, that saying you write that aggressive email and then you read it the next day and you think, what the hell was I thinking? <laughs> so that's that sort of thing I think is really important with your career, anyone's career really. And even more importantly, starting a business. Yeah, look, I, I, I agree, and uh, and it makes makes a huge difference how you how you tackle those uh, those problems um, can mean the difference between a positive and negative outcome. So, it's important. Yeah, and just touching on the the mentor side again, I think when I, when I was younger, I used to think that people didn't want to provide advice to others. Like I like I I used to think that. It's almost like putting people on a pedestal. It's like, oh, that CEO doesn't want to talk to me, or that general manager doesn't want to talk to me. Like they're they're like a they're on another level. But really, like they're just people. Like they're they're literally yeah. just people. And most of the time, like people are pretty interested in just hearing your story and providing advice. And so I think a lot of people should take a step back and realize that we're all on the same planet, we're all doing the same thing. Like if you want to talk to someone, literally just message them on LinkedIn send them an email, whatever it might be. And chances are even about five minutes, just a five minute conversation can open up a, a future relationship. So definitely don't uh, underestimate how much people are willing to give back uh, and make those assumptions too fast. Yeah, I agree. So you mentioned success a few times in your previous answer. So how do you define success? Look, I think you can define success in a, in a number of ways and, and how I answer that would have changed Changed quite a lot over the over the last twenty years, but look, at the end of the day, success is really just a word, and and people throw it around. You know, he's successful or she's successful because of the car the car they drive or the house they live in or the business they run or, or or role they have. But you know, I think if you define it in that way, you're really limiting yourself to a certain extent. And at the end of the day, success is the way you feel, and and for me, it needs to be something that you can share with with people that people that matter. Um, so look, it's it's a, it's about getting the balance right. Like I have a I have a great family at home. I, I have a great team at Jenny Light, and and I enjoy what I do. So, that to me is success. Yeah, no, very good. All right, Greg. Well, thank you for coming on the Rental Journal podcast. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate it. This podcast episode was brought to you by our premier partner, Ken Artsire.